Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Retirementor Podcast. I'm Abraham Okasanya, and it's great to have you here on the podcast today. I want to talk about something that every advisor that I know obsess about. This is the value of advice. There is tons and tons of research out there uh, trying to quantify the value of financial advice. But as the saying goes, the value is in the eye of the beholder. So my guest today is conducted an in-depth study or research on not the value of advice per se, but the perception of the value of advice. My guest today is Paolo Costa, PhD, who is a behavioral economist at Vanguard and the co-author of a new paper titled Quantifying the Investor's View on the Value of Human and Robo-Advice. Paolo, welcome to Retirementals. Thank you, Abraham. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Paolo, can you give our audience a little bit of uh, background to your career, how you started out, and how you've come to you know, research this paper at Vanguard. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am originally from Brazil. So I um, got a full ride scholarship to go study in the US. Um, so that was now a long time ago. But um, so I've been in the US now for a while. And you know, when I finished my undergrad, all that I could think of was like, I want to do research. You know, there was no other path for me better than doing a PhD and um, ended up studying the PhD, you know, behavioral economics. And what I find so magical about behavioral economics and a little bit of uh, funny as well is that, um, you know, obviously we are trying to understand, you know, how people behave around money and about, you know, economic matters. But what I find very interesting about behavioral economists, you know, I can't speak on behalf of all of us, but I can say that we tend to be the most behavioral of people. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you look at the list of behavioral bias, you know, all the behavioral economists are like, check, yes, I've done that mistake. Yes, I have thought about making that mistake. So um, it's just a very um, interesting um role because you know you you really understand what the investor is thinking about so um it's just really um fun to be a behavioral economist because you know then by understanding how people really think about economics and finance you know we can you know nudge them towards you know making better decisions um and you know at vanguard you know we're trying to give investors the best chance for investment success you know and i think behavioral economists are really well positioned um to do that um and how did we come up with this paper? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask you. You know, you you've just re you've written this paper with Jane Henshaw. Uh, tell us about the the idea behind the paper. What is it that you're trying to uh, you're you're trying to eke out of that research? 
Yeah, and I think you 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 nailed the idea of the um, paper in the introduction because there are a lot of papers out there that are about the value of advice, mm, right? Mm. And you know, some of them are gonna use you know mathematical models um, to try to estimate this with a lot of assumptions. But you know, like you said, value is in the eye of the beholder, right? So um, this paper is different from the rest because what we do is that we actually ask you know the investor, what do you believe the value is? And I find that very refreshing. It's just a very different take on this. Because one thing is for you to say, you know, the value of advice is X. But the other thing is what the investor thinks. You know, I think I get this much value. Um, And I think that's a very powerful perspective. So, um, and this idea of the paper really came from um, the perceptions that we saw, like, on the media at times. You know, every so often you, you read an article about, like, you know, technology will take over this industry, that industry. And, you know, every so often you hear about that coming to the financial industry as well. And at the same time, when you talk to people with financial advisors, you know, you know some people really like their financial advisors. So what, one thing that we wanted to see um, was that with the rise of the robo-advisors and, you know, the well-established human advisors, you know, how do people feel about both of them? And that's how we started. Incredible. So, so you went out and you, you, you surveyed, you know, 1,500 investors. Uh, Some of them are robo-advisor users and some of them work with real advisors, human, (laughs) human advisors. So talk to us about how you set out that, that, that survey and the overriding sort of takeaway from, from that research. Absolutely. So, um, you know, with the, this idea of automation taking over the industry, you know, this, that has been said, um, what we wanted to do was to evaluate three things. The first one is loyalty, right? You know, because, you know, if automation is coming and, you know, like people said, that it's going to take over, well, you'd think um, loyalty would be something very important on this. So probably if, if automation is, you know, going to take over, two things should happen. The first one is, people who have digital advisors should still want to have digital advisors going forward. And people who have human advisors would like to switch to digital right, advisors, right? right? Um, so that would be the assumption. Um, and then actually the first thing that we find there in terms of loyalty is actually quite the opposite, is that people who have human advisors, you know, 93% of them say, we would still like to have a human advisor as part of our advice practice going forward. So that for me was a really, you know, sobering number because one thing is like 50%, but like 93%, you know, it's really like most people who have a human advisor still want to have one going forward. And then the flip side of that, it's this idea of um, now thinking about the digital investors, what about their loyalty to their services? And then what, what we find is that 88% of them actually are willing to switch to a human advisor in the future. They are willing to consider switching to a human advisor. And that for us was, you know, uh, a strong argument to say, you know, well, there is something about the human advisors that seems to be so far enduring. And then we go after figuring, trying to figure out what it is. That that is brilliant, you know. Um, I, I get, I guess, you know, uh, 
a lot of our audience on the podcast are financial advisors. They're probably sitting there thinking to themselves, duh, we told you so. Uh, 93% or 92, 93% of our clients will stick with us. They don't have robo-advice envy. And, but, but the fascinating thing for me is that, you know, you said 88% of people who are using robo-advice will consider uh you know switching to to human advisor that that's that's really really fascinating and and so i guess my question is um you you asked you asked um these people how much value they would place on the advice you know what do they think the advice is worth in percentage terms and I guess the question is, were you surprised that there was only a 2% difference um, in the value perceived by people using human advice versus digital advice? Yeah, so, I mean, to your point, um, you know, loyalty comes from something, right? Um, and we at Vanguard, you know, believe that, um, you know, loyalty comes in great part from the value that people get from the service that they use. And that wouldn't be different with uh, you know, financial advice. And at Vanguard, we like to think of value along three dimensions. So the first one being um, you know, the portfolio value that is more related to performance of a portfolio. Mm. Then we have financial value, which is the attainment of goals. And the third one is the emotional value, right? You know, the financial peace of mind, you know, being able to sleep at night, even when markets are volatile. So um, the, the, what you mentioned um, is initially the um, portfolio value. Right. And what we found there when asking um, investors, um, what would you believe your performance was in the past three years with your advisor? And then you, we asked them, what would you imagine your performance would have been without your advisor? So trying to get the counterfactual out of them. Um, and then, you know, that difference of those two questions would be, you know, what they perceive the portfolio value to be of their financial advisors. So, so they, they think that using, their, using a financial advisor has made a 5% difference to, to them. In other words, if they hadn't used a financial advisor, they think they would have got 5% less than, than they actually received. Right. That's right. In, in annual returns, for this is for the human financial uh, advised clients. Right. For the robo-advised clients, they think that this gap, this the, val, the, the portfolio value of a digital of a robo-advisor is 3%. And, you know, you may see this difference of 2% between the two of them, but I, I actually don't pay as much attention to that number for the following reason is that those two populations are just very different, right? Um, and their level of financial sophistication may just be very different. So what I like to think, you know, uh, in terms of the value add, which I think is just really cool, is just that the financial advice industry, in the eyes of the investors, whether it's human, whether it's robo, they add a ton of value. Um, the investor believes that. Um, so I think that's just incredibly, incredibly powerful. Um, I have a... I have a, um, a family member in the U.S. that, um, you know, she has no idea. She, she's not uh, financially literate just because she doesn't like it. She doesn't like to think about this. 
But um, she has a financial advisor, has had it for a long time. And, you know, now she's about to retire with, you know, in a very comfortable situation, you know, because she had that financial advisor. So right. it's very likely that a person like her would have been, for example, in all cash all these years. Right, right. Missed, you know, right, the financial premium, the, financial, the, the equity premium and the bond premium. So they have missed all of this. So actually, you know, we, in finance, we always think that people, um, you know, we're all financial professionals, right? So we, you know, we tend to think about our own experiences. But, you know, there are people out there that don't like finance. Surprise, surprise, you know. And, you know, these people, um, they really get a lot of value from having that guidance. And we have seen that human and robo-advisors, you know, they add value to um, to financial um to financial planning, to portfolio. So um, it's just a very good news in, good news for the financial industry as a whole. We like value, uh, add value to our clients. Yeah, that, that's insightful actually, because even I, you know, I, I like, the, I like the, the way you decomposed the element of value to the investment, the goal of financial, and then the, the psychological or the peace of mind. But when it comes to that portfolio value, we tend to measure that against the market. We say, you know, if you're an advisor and you're going to pick stocks or you're going to whatever you do, right? Now, a lot of advisors don't do that, but you construct a portfolio for the, for the, for the client. We tend to measure that against or the value against uh, the market. But really, your point or, or even against what a direct consumer, uh, you know, sorry, a, a self-investor would do. But actually, the point you're making is that the benchmark is what the investor, that particular investor, would have done without the help of a financial advisor. It might be that they might have sat in cash all this while. Uh, I think that's a really, really good point. The other thing that struck me is that you conducted this research at the very height of, uh, you know, shall I say, the great <laughs> financial bubble uh, of 2021. That, that's sort of, that, that's the time that you, you conducted this. I wonder if the perception of value would have changed, um, you know, fast forward, you know, nearly 15 months later and the market is in a completely different place well what do you think yeah so that that's a, a great question because you're right i mean the research the survey went out july 2021 which was you know close to the top of the bull market that recently ended and what's um what's interesting about this is yes we see a lot of value add but i am incredibly curious um, about, you know, redoing the survey now that the market, you know, has faced a correction because, you know, this is really the time um, when people, you know, are really relying on the guidance of their financial advisors, you know, when the market is volatile because um, there is a saying that, like, when the market is up, everybody's a genius, right? But um, it turns out that, you know, um, when the market corrects um, and you really need the, ex the expert guidance, you know, I, you know I, I don't know because I don't have the data, but I would still um, be fairly confident that people would still see a lot of value in their financial advisors because 
you know, there, there is a lot of research out there that people tend to sell, you know, at the bottom of the mm -hmm. market, you know, and that it's, it's hard for two reasons, because it's hard for you to time when you exit and then when you go back into the market again, you know, so um, it's very hard to time the market. And then, as, as we like to say, like time in the market is better than market timing. So um, it's I would still believe that people would perceive a lot of value in their financial advisors. Now a word from our sponsor. Nikki Heating Jones is the managing director and the chief investment officer at Betafolio, the high-tech, low-cost, discretionary model portfolio manager. Typical model portfolio service costs about 36 basis points. That's in addition to the funds, the platform, you know, the advice fees. Tell us a bit about Betafolio's view and approach on fees. Well, I don't think anyone that knows us already, Abraham, would be surprised to hear me say that in a nutshell, NPS fees are too high. Um, if you include the fund charges and the platform fee that you already talked about, we get close to 1%, I think, on average for a lot of retail clients. And that's before they start paying for the financial plan, which is the part of the service that will ultimately add the most value for them in their advisor relationship and experience. Um, so, I mean, my view on fees and Betafolio's view on fees is that they have a real impact on current outcomes that needs attention. Um, and that's why we're building a scalable solution with technology that will allow us to keep costs low. And I think we also should consider the impact of these fees on advisors' businesses too. Advisors need to, to make a profit from, from their work. They need to have a viable business and their cost bases have been rising because of regulation and the, the more cost they have to pass through to their clients for overcomplicated services in, in turn puts pressure on the advisor's own fees and, and ultimately makes it not possible for them to, to run a, a good business. So fees are really crucial um, and I'm really happy that we're in a position to be having a positive influence on the, the trends in the market. Good stuff. Thank you, Nikki. So talk to, to us a little bit about the other components, the, the goal um, um, orientation or goal achievement and the peace of mind. Is there a difference in what, what is the perception of value there for the human advice uh, advisor relative to the digital advisor? Yeah, so again, um, both very good news stories for the advice industry. The first one, so the financial value, so attaining goals, what we find is that um, investors using a human advisor, they believe that they are $160,000 closer to their goal by the fact of the, they have a financial advisor. So we ask them um, something along the lines of what's your goal in terms of how much money you'd like to have invested. And that's for both groups of people around a million dollars. And then they say, um, we ask, how far are you in achieving that goal? And they say 59%. And then we ask, without your advisor, how far do you think you would have been? And they say, you know, 43%. So that like 16% gap 
So can be translated to $160,000, given that their goal is a million. So um, I just want to, you know, we say these large numbers, right? You know, they are $160,000 closer to their goal. But like, you know, that's the stuff that like changed people's lives, right? You know, $160,000, you know, is sending, you know, your kids to college. It is sustaining like a more comfortable retirement. It is, you know, paying down your house. You know, it is, um, it is so much, right? It is so big. Um, so um, I, I know that this is the time, you know, when financial advisors are really burdened, you know, because the market is so volatile and, you know, cl clients are calling and they're asking for help. You know, remember that you make, you know, this big difference in people's lives. And, you know, it's, it's really beautiful and really humbling for a researcher to see these numbers and put numbers to it. You know, just to say, you know, there is a lot of value that um, financial advice adds in terms of attaining goals. Um, but um, you also asked about the robo-advisors and that um, gap, um, we found that the perceived financial value there is around $50,000. So um, people with um, a robo-advisor believe that they're $50,000 closer to their goal just because they have uh, a robo-advisor. But again, I don't like comparing the two numbers. And here there is a really um, good insight because they're not comparable. Is because if you think about someone that has worked with a financial advisor for 30 years mm. versus someone that has worked with a digital advisor, because digital advisors haven't been around for that long. Right. Yeah. So, you know, their financial plan may not have had time to, you know, really um, go into full effect. Um, but again, this is just a little detail, but what I think is just that, um, you know, investors really believe that they are closer to achieving their goals because they have financial advisors. And that for me is just, you know, incredible. And is there a, is there a difference in those two demographics? So is there, is the robo-advice uh, survey respondent, is that what you call them? <laughs> Yeah, the, the yeah, yeah, participants. See, I'll, yeah. I'll pretend. Yeah. I'll pretend to you know to have a little bit of academic uh, thing. You know, <laughs> I'm a failed academic, by the way. <laughs> but the point, I, my question was, what, what is the difference in the two uh, the two uh, audience? You know, uh, are the robo advice clients? Is my assumption that they are younger, less wealthy? Is that correct? Does that is that something that you looked at in the research or, or not? Absolutely. But maybe first I would just um, make a, a a small point about PhDs. Is that you know I have to be honest with you. The most that I have learned about economics and finance are from yeah. people without a PhD, right? right? And it, it, sometimes sometimes without any formal education, you know, there's people who you know just have the eye to analyze what's around them and extract insights. You know, um, I joke, my, my husband has a grandmother who grew up, you know, Germany post-war. And, you know, she has no economic education. And I have seen her in dinners in front of, you know, business owners and like lecturing them about, you know, what the Fed is doing, how they're doing this. And, you know, and, you know, she just listens to the radios and but she just has the intuition and you know that is just absolutely fantastic so you know uh 
you know, the, the amount that people can contribute without a PhD is boundless. So I wouldn't... You're, um, you're being modest, but, um, aren't you, that... uh, Paula? You're, you're, you're being modest. <laughs> no, I just, I just like recognizing that, you know, wisdom comes from all places. And that is, we should never forget that. Um, and, um, but back to your question about um, the differences in the demographics, um, I really think um, that it's what you'd expect. So robo advice clients, they tend to be younger and, you know, because they are younger, they tend to have less wealth and, um, and they're more allocated to equities naturally. And, you know, um, the clients with human advisors, they tend to be older, they tend to be wealthier for that reason. And they tend to be more allocated to fixed income as a consequence. So it is, it is the demographics that you would expect um, the difference between those two, uh, those two groups. Cool. So, uh, and the final point, again, the, uh, the peace of mind element, again, is there a difference in what is it? What, what's your finding on that aspect? Absolutely. So emotional value for me is um, the coolest finding of the paper. Um, and the reason is um, it's very hard for you to measure, you know, emotional value. For example, mathematical models, you know, that's very hard um, to get at that. But when you're in a survey, you know, you can ask people about how they feel. Um, and we basically ask the same type of question, you know, how much peace of mind do you have working with your advisor? And how much peace of mind do you think you would have if you didn't have an advisor? And the finding there for me is very striking um, because number one, client, um, human advice clients say that without an advisor, only like around 25% of them would have peace of mind. So clearly, this is a population that beforehand comes saying, you know, without an advisor, I wouldn't have peace of mind. Then we ask with an advisor, then it's more than 80% of them say, I have peace of mind. For me, that's striking because that's what's telling me is that actually by the idea of having an advisor, they peace of mind more than triples for the population, which for me is just, again, incredible. Because again, this is the things that we can't really put a dollar amount on, right? It's just like, can I sleep well at night? Um, do I know that my, that my investments are on track because someone is looking after them? So that's, you know, the things that um, in the end of the day really matter for people. But then um, if you look at the robo-advice clients, the picture is completely different for two reasons. One, if you ask, would you have peace of mind without an advisor? Most of them say, yes, I would have peace of mind without a robo-advisor. So it already shows you that the population is just very different, right? One of them said, no, I would not have peace of mind. And the robo-advisor said, like, yes, I would be fine. And then with the robo-advisor, um, now around 75% of them say, yes, I would have peace of mind. So robo-advisors really don't add that much peace of mind um, emotional value to their clients, but it, it's also because the clients just happen to be very different. They seem to be a lot more confident coming into this, the the um, financial markets. So, um, but again, um, both of them add emotional value, but it just seems like human advice clients and human advisors are really benefiting from um, from the emotional value um, that they get. So um, again, it's for me, it's the type of thing that a, a mathematical model cannot um, get at. And here with a survey asking people, you can get at very easily. 
this is incredible and i have said to you i've read this paper twice um you know once when i found it and 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 after we we'd we'd you know decided that we're going to interview you these these things that you're talking about uh somehow i didn't get that those from the paper so you're you're delivering tons and tons of value but we need to start to wrap this up and the the question then that is left for me is that why is it that you think that 88 percent nearly nine in ten uh, of these people using robo-advice say that they will consider switching to human advice. Right. So um, I think there is one main reason that I think there is, that explains a lot of what's in the paper, which is the issue of complexity of one's financial lives and one's goals. Um, we hear, um, we later in the survey asked them what, basically, what do you think that humans do better? What do you think that robots do better? And people um, say, you know, what robots do better is, you know, they think the portfolio management side of it, like diversification and the account management. And, but they think that humans do better is um, developing a connection with um, the clients and they also think um, the delivery of financial planning and emotional value. And I think um, what I what I keep thinking about is, you know, when, as one gets, you know, older, life tends to become more complex. Um, you know, um, you know that there may be more financial accounts, there may be kids, there may be, you know, relatives, um, parents may be aging. Um, and, you know, I, I keep thinking about, um, um, something I was reading recently about like how retirees, as they age, they don't want to move out of their homes, right? And why would that be? So because, you know, there is a lot of emotional attachment to their homes. You know, they created histories there. There are memories in there. And, you know, um, one thing is that you input that um, in, you know, you tell that to a, a financial advisor, they will instantly get it, right? You know, that... But now, you know, imagine how complex it is for, you know, uh, a digital service to really fully grasp and understand that. So there is an issue of complexity. And also, um, I, you, I watched when you interviewed Carl Richards here, and, you know, this idea of figuring out what people's goals are, right? You know, what, um, what do they really want? Um, and sometimes it's very nuanced. And it's not always that you can get at it just by asking the question, what do you want? You need to unpack that. So, you know, it's very complex. And, you know, they, I, I'm not sure technology is that yet, you know, to get at that. So that's why I think as people's lives get more complex, they're still searching for the human connection. So that's that would be the take, I think. So, so this is interesting. So you said that... Um, for things like investing, right? Investing money, diversifying my portfolio management. There is a perception that digital is better than human. Is that, that's correct. Yeah, that's right. So what they say there for me was, that was one of the most surprising findings of the paper is that two things that they think, you know, that um, human and digital, you know, do fairly similar with digital taking a little bit of a lead is exactly uh, diversifying investments. And what they said um, 
um, make me money, you know, achieve positive returns. And also um, the third right. one, uh, before I forget, is also managing tax um, uh, capital gains and taxes. They also think that digital does that better. Um, for me, that's very surprising because, you know, a lot of financial advisors define themselves as investment managers. And, you know, mm. this survey showed that actually, you know, they um, clients may be thinking that, you know, digital, this is a type of thing that can be outsourced to a digital service. And the flip side of that mm. is that actually it frees up time for the advisor to really focus on the things that clients believe that adds a lot of value, like emotional support, financial planning, but also adds time for the advisor to potentially go after and search for new clients too. Because you know, if you don't have to do the investment management and you can outsource that to technology, you know, there is a room there you know, for scaling the business and becoming more efficient. So in the end of the day, what we, the, what we say about the paper is that um, do people want human or digital? I think the answer is they want the excellence of both in one place. Fascinating stuff, uh, Paolo. Thank you very much for um, this incredible work that you've done on, on, on the paper, um, you know, just digging into that uh, perception of value um, of, of financial, financial advice. Um, as a parting word, where, where can we find you and read more about, about your work? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was a huge pleasure to be here too, Abraham. Thanks so much for making the time to talk about research, you know, the thing that we both love so much. So um, where we can find um, more of my research is on um, a LinkedIn page, the Vanguard Investment Research. So Vanguard posts, you know, about research there, you know, pretty much every day, you know, tidbits and, you know, full full papers that we do. And um, so, yeah, and I'm also on LinkedIn, Paulo Costa at Vanguard. Um, yeah, and there is a lot of new research coming up. So, yeah, stay tuned. A lot of interesting stuff. Paulo Costa, thank you very much for your time. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline App, the retirement planning software, and Bitfolio, the high-tech, low-cost, flat-fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.